Perhaps you've heard the story about the master carpenter who worked for the same builder for nearly 50 years. He had uh, crafted his, his trade and become just a, with a great reputation in building. But it was about time for him to retire. And the builder had uh, told him how much he appreciated his work and he determined to give the carpenter a $5,000 bonus and asked him if he would build just one more house. Just one more. Well, the carpenter was bitterly disappointed at the small bonus. He had invested his life in this man's company. He agreed. Now, this carpenter who had uh, prided himself on his uncompromising commitments to quality became a bit resenting, and it began to show in his work. He decided he would cut corners, or he would show this man by cheaper materials, and he pocketed the difference. And when the house was finally finished, the builder shook the carpenter's hand and with a huge smile gave him, gave him an envelope and a big thank you. The carpenter was disdainful until he unfolded the paper and found the deed to this very house in his own name. And you see his anger and hostility and anxiety that caused him to do a substandard work became his reward. There is a lesson in this, my friends, one that we're going to talk about here this morning. The life that you are living now will have a great deal of influence in how you spend your eternity. You will notice I didn't say where you spend your eternity. The rewards that you will receive in heaven. So work carefully, work carefully in this morning as we study chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians. We see that Paul did just that. And what we're going to do is we're going to have this opportunity to see how it is we ought to be ministering in this world. And then Paul's going to tell us why. So take a look with me carefully, if you will, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 1. Here in verses 1 to 12, the Apostle Paul lays out a pattern for us. How he did ministry and then he tells us why. Well, the first picture we have of how ministry ought to be done is that like an athlete's. Notice what he says here in verses 1 and 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. Now this word conflict is an athletic term that means a contest or a struggle. Those of you that maybe played sports as a hobby or on a team understand this. Yes, 
this urge to continue to fight, to move harder, to get there, to get it done. When we serve, we need this sort of attitude and endurance, a hard-working, industrious attitude to get it done. Now, talking about this, uh, this struggle that Paul endured, he did so, we see here at the uh, end of verse 2, we had boldness in our God. And you know what gave him boldness in ministry? Something that perhaps many of us lack in our lives. Oh, we'd talk to more people if we just had a little more courage. Maybe it's the Wizard of Oz. I'll tell you how he got it. In Acts chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, the Lord had said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. The very same promise you and I have, my friends. And notice the Lord continues, And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. You see, the Lord told Paul that in this city there are people right now. They don't know it, but when they hear the gospel, all the lights are going to come on, their eyes are going to get big, and they are going to trust hard in the Lord Jesus. But you got to go tell them. you got to go tell them. Already reserved for you in this city. Look at again what the Lord said. I have many in this city who are my people. And the same perhaps could be said about your neighbors, your co-workers, perhaps some family members, if you would just be bold enough to open your mind. Going to serve like an athlete, my friends. Contest, struggle to get there. But we must also remember this, that we serve the Lord as a steward. Now that's not really a familiar concept to us, but let me remind you that a steward owns nothing, but possesses and uses everything that belongs to his master for his master's good. Oh, that makes sense, doesn't it? All of God's resources for his glory and the good of his people. Joseph, you may recall, was a steward in the household of Potiphar. He managed his master's affair and used all of his master's good to promote his master's welfare. Every steward, hear me when I say this, friend, you are a steward and every steward must one day give an account of his stewardship. Jesus taught that in Luke chapter 16. Careful how you serve, because you will give an account. Here in verse 3, as a steward, we see that our goal must be to please God and not man. We are not here for the applause of man or woman or child. We are here for the nod from the Lord Jesus who says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Amen. 
It is the calling for which we have all been called as servants of Christ. And our goal must be to please God, not man. Look at verse 3. For our appeal does not spring for error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Who tests our hearts. Your heart is being tested even now, my friends, as you hear and listen to the word of God. <clears throat> the truth that is being laid out and how you respond. We must, our goal must be to please God and not man as a steward. And we must look to glorify God and not ourselves. Look at verse 5. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Paul watched his heart on this as we must watch our hearts, test ourselves. Why do we do what we do? Is it for the good of the kingdom? Or is it simply building my own? We must remember, we are a steward, and our goal must be to please God and not man. We must look to glorify God and not ourselves. And we must seek the best for whom we serve. Look at what Paul says here in verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or for others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. I want you to look at Paul's attitude here. And here he is, an apostle. Twelve of those guys. God sent them out with a very peculiar and uh, time-limited um, opportunity to serve the Lord in a very particular way. And here's Paul saying, I worked hard not to be a bother to you. Notice what he says here. I could have made demands as an apostle. You see, there was this understanding and teaching that Jesus had made. Um, it's recorded in 1 Timothy 5, 17 to 18. Listen carefully to this principle. It said, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. Apparently there was a stipend in the church. And those who served as an elder, Paul said, are worthy of double Especially, Paul says, those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then he points to Jesus' teaching on this matter. And he says, the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And they say, does, does God only care about oxen? What's he saying here? There's the oxen pulling and working hard. And you don't put a muzzle on it because when it's plowing out the grain, it should also be able to be rewarded in the eating of that grain. But Jesus, here in Luke 10.7, added to it, the laborer deserves his wages. Those who labor in the Word of God are worthy of double honor, especially. And so here's Paul saying, 
I could have asked this for you, that you provide for me. But what he said is, I didn't do that. I didn't do that. We could have made demands, but we were gentle among you. See, how are we to minister to others? We must serve like an athlete. We must remember that we are stewards. The things of God belong to God, and He has provided them for us, that we might use, him, use it for Him and for His people, not for our own sake. But here in 7 through 12, Paul gives us another picture of ministry. Wonderful how Paul is with these pictures, these images. And this one here in 7 to 12 is we must serve as a loving parent. Look at the images Paul has of how he treats those for whom he serves. He says, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own child. Gentle. As a Think of a newborn. You don't pick up a newborn roughly. You put your fingers underneath carefully. Raise it to you to protect and care for. And that is the image of ministry. For those whom we serve, we must be gentle. Like a nursing mother caring for her own children. So he was gentle with them like a mother. He was affectionate with them. Notice in verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves, because you had become very dear to me. I tell you, friends, I don't know how it's possible to minister this way and not to find people very dear to you. And this is the Apostle Paul's experience and mine as well. You have become very dear to us. So he was gentle with them, like a mother. He was affectionate with them. And he worked hard for them. Notice verse 9. This image of a parent, perhaps particularly a mother. Watch my daughter with her sons. And I think, man, I'd hate to be there. I mean, we did it with four. Maybe Melanie did it with four. I don't know. But it's hard work. Ministry is hard work. Anybody tells you anything different, my friends, they're holding back. It's hard. But he worked hard for them. Remember, brothers, verse 9. Our labor and toil we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. You see, Paul, by trade, was a tent maker. He had a job on the side. Imagine traveling the world, his world, being persecuted, pleading with the church to grow and to trust in Christ and to serve him well. All working at the same time. He worked hard. And he set a good example for them. You are witnesses and God also, he says. How holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you, believers. For you know, 
You know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You've heard it from this pulpit inside and outside that I do the very same things. Exhorted, encouraged, and charged each one of us to live as we ought in a manner that is worthy of God. Hmm. So here's a picture for us of Paul, laying an example for us how we ought to serve. Every one of us that has put our trust in Christ has a spiritual gift, at least one, a spiritual gift, gifted specifically for the service of the church. Paul lays out a perfect example how we ought to exercise it. How we ought to minister like an athlete, like a steward, and like a loving parent. But then we come to chapter, uh, I'm sorry, verses 13 to 20. And Paul tells us the why. This surprised me, my friends. Paul's why surprised me. Even now you might guess, well, yeah, because we're going to stand before Jesus, right? That's partially right. Take a look with me. And here Paul lays out for us why he ministers, what the fruit of his labor truly is. Look at verse 13. He says, reason number one, because of their response to the scriptures, to the response to the word of God. I've seen it in people's lives. I've seen it in your lives. Your eyes get really big when it becomes clear. And the spirit of God applies it personally to your heart. And take a look how they responded. Verse 13, we also thank God constantly for this that when you received the word of God, which you had heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. They saw it not as the wisdom of Paul, but as it was indeed the word of God. Now there are two words here. Receive, they received it, and they accepted it. These two words are pretty significant. Paul used these words first received and this means to accept from another person. Pretty standard stuff, exactly as you'd expect. But this word, they accepted it, means something a little different. It means to welcome one. To welcome. One means the hearing of the ear while the other means the hearing from the heart. They received the word of God. They took it from Paul, but then they accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as it was really the word of God. Now you'll note here, friends, what Paul is referring to here is this motion, uh, message spoken by the missionaries, Paul and Silas and Timothy. And when the Thessalonians heard from Paul, what they realized that it was not simply the uh, word of a man's wisdom, 
but they were actually communicating the word of God. These words that we are reading here this morning, they are the words of God, accurately recorded and preserved and translated for us here this morning. This is not just a lesson book, my friend, that somebody put together for us because they thought it'd be good for us. These are the very words of God. How are you responding to them this morning? From the ears and from the heart. And so they were, their response to the Word of God was one of the reasons. Their acceptance of the Word of God is indeed the Word of God. And the Word of God was at work in their lives. Remember those early days of faith? And you just couldn't get enough of the Word of God. You just consumed it. Hours and hours. And you didn't realize it at the time, but it was changing the way you think. It was changing your priorities. It was changing your perspectives. You were being transformed by the Word of God. Has that happened lately, by the way? You're still in the Word of God, reading, devouring, studying, meditating. <laughs> Word of God was at, their li- li- at work in their lives. Notice he continues on here and, uh, and says, Which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the church of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. You are just becoming like these mature churches that have been around from the beginning. Transformation. That's what Paul is talking about here. And so they heard the Word of God. They accepted it from their hearts. And the Word of God was at work in their life. Transforming them. And you know what it enabled them to do? Endure persecution. You can hear at the end of verse 14. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So is also to fill up the measure of their sins wrath has come upon them at last. What wrath? What is he talking about here? A lot of questions about that. What is Paul referring to that wrath has come upon them? Well, some suggest that he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. It would be coming in a few years in AD 7. Or he may have had in mind that God turning from the Jews to the Gentiles to build his church. Or perhaps the wrath may refer to the tribulation which will assuredly come upon them because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. Well, my friends, you know why he ministered? Because it changed their lives. Transformed them completely. And here in verse 17 and 20, it is stated yet once again, they became dear to Paul. 
But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, but not in heart, we endeavored the more to eagerly, with great desire, to see you face to face. But because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan had hindered us. And here's the drop-dead bottom line here. You know why we serve other people? Take a look at what Paul says here. For what is our hope, our joy, our crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And the Lord Jesus, the trumpet blows, and the Lord Jesus returns and gathers us to Himself. Paul said, my arms are going to be full. This, this is my joy. This is my crown. This is what I have to give to the Lord. This is what I have, flowers of life that I have picked, a bouquet of service to present to the Lord. I don't know about you. I sure don't want to be empty-handed. And you know what the wonderful thing is? You know that. And now you get to act on it. And every day and every effort and every moment, you get to say to the Lord, yes, you are worthy. Yes, this is the illustration of my love for you in the way that I serve you. So my friend, the people we minister today will be our family in eternity. They will be our trophy. They will be our joy. So serve the Lord regardless of the cost. Serve the Lord by serving others well. And serving the Lord, notice my friend, will result in great joy. Probably you've heard of the song by Ray Bolts. Thank you. For giving to the Lord. It's a fascinating story, a picture of a man who, who is hearing the list of people who have been impacted. Somebody who gave to the missionary. And the missionary went and he preached and someone came to faith in Christ. Thank you for giving. A Sunday school teacher, busy and hectic, trying to get here, showing up, not in the attitude or mood you really want to be, but you're there. And perhaps your example caused somebody to give a second look at Jesus. Maybe all you did was set up a chair. Or maybe all you did was put it away. But it was there for someone to see, to hear the gospel. A monkey with a sound box. It works sometimes, sometimes it doesn't so much, but you don't know what God is doing through all of these acts of service. You don't know. But God has called you to live it out. 
And my friend, if you do, one day you're going to be real glad you did. Serve well. Serve well. Work hard. Get at it, whatever the cost. However difficult the process may be, it will be worth it. Surely the Lord is worthy. All of it matters, my friends. All of it's an investment in God's work. All of it a celebration before the Lord Jesus one day. You don't want to show up empty-handed, do you? Think of the shame of the Son of God who took on flesh, endured crucifixion that you might live and out of gratitude that you might serve and what you show up and say well you know I was busy it was hard I don't really like those people I didn't want to talk to my neighbors you know they always put that thing out and what you're saying is you really weren't worth it Jesus you just weren't worth it Oh, Father, help us. Oh, Father, help us. In our hearts, we know that you are worth more. More than what we've been doing. More than what we have given. You are worthy of more. So help us, Father. In the small ways. In the big decisions. To stand up and to be bold. And to serve you in a way that honors you and encourages the people around us. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.